0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I am a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, WCC. I'd like to point out that uh, this is the second time in a row that I've preached during Daylight Savings Time, and I'd like to point out that I have four little children, and my wife looks beautiful, and she's smiling at me, and we haven't really fought today. Uh, God is good. We have made it today. It's good to be here. Go ahead and open up to the book of Leviticus. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 1. We're going to go through all of it today, and I want to prepare your hearts. You might be nervous. I get that. Um, Even when some people shared this morning, what are you preaching on? I wrongfully in my heart wanted to be apologetic. Leviticus. This book is so foreign to us. It's very foreign to us. When Israel received this book, they were in a very different world. This was before Christ. This is before they even set foot in the promised land. The way in which they entered covenant and relationship with God is far different than how we enjoy the citizenship underneath Jesus. It's a different world. But I want us to get acquainted with this world uh, for a number of reasons. And this, re- this really stems from me being on social media. So a, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at someone's post online. This individual was close to retirement, and in his career, he had an academic profession. He thought long and hard about ethics, morality, economy, cultural differences, and sought ways to offer solutions and reconciliations and peace. And at the end of this person's career, not yet retired, they confess for the first time they bought a Bible. And I read that and I thought, hallelujah. A, a man advanced in age who's been among different people of great significance and influence and intellect has finally said, that has not satisfied. That has not solved the great mysteries and problems that we wrestle with. I'm going to God's word to find answers, to find God. And I got so giddy and excited on my little phone. And then I started looking at the comments, hoping that the church just wasn't messing up this moment. Uh, People were saying, you got to read the book of John. Others saying you gotta go to the synopsis gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Others saying, if you want to find wisdom, go to the Proverbs or the the Psalms have covered every emotion I have ever felt on this earth. It will bless you. Some people saying, don't go to the message and you can go to NIV and it's okay and do ESV, ESV, everywhere. I'm an NASB guy. There's like maybe one comment on that translation. And as as I'm thinking through, man, what would I recommend? Someone who is pursuing God for the first time. Someone who's opening up the good book that speaks of eternal life and how we can be reconciled to God. Leviticus was not number one, two, three, or four. (laughs) But what I usually do in my young age is I think what's best and then what's the opposite? Or what's good and easy and then what's rigorous and challenging? And I thought about Leviticus. I would never recommend this to someone who's curious about Jesus. I wouldn't say don't read this book, but this wouldn't be my first recommendation. And I thought more about Leviticus, and I don't think I've ever heard one sermon from this book. And we believe at WCC God has inspired it. And, and God doesn't expire If he has said something, it's eternal. And I am a young minister. I'm 37, 37 and a half maybe by now. And in my few years of ministry, I have seen some crazy, sad things. Uh, It hasn't been uncommon for me within ministry to learn of new converts or young couples Seeking to grow in sanctification and holiness, move outside of their community and join some commune, get a lot of land, grow their own crops. Nothing's wrong with that, by the way. Uh, have their own animals. Nothing's wrong with that. If that's you, we've probably been to your house by now because we like that atmosphere. And then, and then they start maybe bringing on some different traditions and customs that I, I don't find in the New Testament. And those can be okay. Okay. But then they start doing weird things, like calling Jesus by different Jewish names. Um, then they start making weird arguments, like the New Testament's actually written in Hebrew. Um, they no longer talk to family members that are of a different denomination, though they believe salvation is only by the cross of Christ. And they get cold, calloused, and isolated for the, for the sake of holiness. And let me rewind a little bit. Amber and I would love to own like 20 acres. Um, We're trying to find a way to squeeze chickens into our little small plot in Porterdale. Nothing's wrong with those things. Uh, I know believers that they feel more comfortable if they have a head covering on. Nothing's wrong with a head covering. But to say that this is needed for salvation, or this is a different sect of holiness... That, that crosses the line and that minimizes what Jesus accomplished. And this really brings one ethnicity into the spot of idolatry. I think that stems because the church as a whole have avoided books like Leviticus. We have started to study this in isolation, not as a whole. And then we realize I can achieve this or I can achieve that because you might have an entrepreneur Entrepreneurial spirit, or you don't have a couple kids to slow you down yet, and you go for it. And in so doing, you miss God. And I don't want us to be a church, we're very liturgical. We take pride in that. But but we use that as an encouragement for spirituality. We don't say, now that we have these certain points in the message. We're now pleasing to God. No, we do this to disciple one another, to attach ourselves to something larger. We want to be intentional at WCC. We don't want to just wing it. And there's a part of God we can't really learn unless we cover the whole counsel of God. Not long ago, I was at work talking to some of my peers, having a great time. And I shared a couple of parts of myself, you know, how I view myself as a pastor, what I love within ministry. And they're like, whoa, that's a, that's a side of you we haven't even seen or heard about before. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, wait until you see how I discipline and enjoy my kids. You have no clue who I am. Avoiding certain books of the Bible, passages or entire books, robs us of knowing our God. So hopefully you found the book of Leviticus. It's in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book. We're going to go through chapter one. Prepare yourselves. The word of the Lord says, Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord... You shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it, a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the suet, over the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar." Its entrails, however, and its legs shall be; uh, he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering is from the flock of the sheep or of the goats. For a burnt offering, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall slay it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. He shall then cut it into its pieces with its head and its suet, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. The entrails, however, and the legs shall wash. Uh, he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and offer it up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering from the turtle doves or from young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and offer it up in smoke on the altar." And its blood is to be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall also take away its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar eastward to the place of the ashes. Then he shall tear it by its wings, but shall not sever it. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke in the altar on the wood, which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord." This is the word of the Lord. We have children in this room. I would like to encourage you, during this sermon, draw. Draw what you, what you think you see, what you hear. It might be a little bit violent, mom and dad, but this is a great way for you to connect. You understand animals. Uh, you might understand sacrifice by now. This is an easy way for you to connect to a book that's filled with a lot of laws. And I'd like for you to, to engage in this. And hey, elders love your drawings. I keep them. So if you don't want to keep a really bloody bull on the refrigerator at your house, I might like to put it on my house, okay? <laughs> so the background of this book of Leviticus Israel has been delivered out of slavery, Pharaoh no longer has possession of them. The ten plagues have happened. Mighty Egypt has fallen hard. It's going to be near impossible for them to rebuild. This slave people have been freed and they have entered into covenant with Yahweh. We find this in Exodus 20 through 24. He's brought this slave people who he has ordained and has planned to become through their patriarchs to enter into a relationship, to enter into an agreement, a covenant. So they have that background. Now they are no longer slaves but free. And now they are in a relationship with their God. Not only that, as they enter into the wilderness, the Lord has instructed the people to build a tent We find in Exodus 40, 34, God himself isn't going to be dwelling on the mountain. They're going to be journeying. So he's going to dwell among them in the tent. He's going to go with them. He's not going to free them and say, just have at it, good luck. I've done so much, I'm exhausted. Or you're starting to kind of tick me off. Let's just cut ties now. He is to dwell with them. We find in the first two verses, God presented as a king instructing from his court. Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting and saying, this is a way in which a king would call a high official before him, to carry out his message, his decree. This is Yahweh saying, I am your royal. You are my subjects. And whenever God is king, beloved, good things happen. Blessings are granted, promises are made. Strength and joy and abundance and flourishing are felt for citizens That walk in blessing and obedience because those go together. Obedience is a blessing and you all know what blessing is. We find in this something really interesting. It says in verse 2, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them. So God is going to continually use Moses. Why? Why? What we know about Moses' background already is is he has some baggage. Um, He's murdered. Um, He doesn't have a, a Jewish background or upbringing. He messes up from time to time. He likes excuses. And he uses them from time to time. We know Moses doesn't get to enjoy life in the promised land. Because of his disobedience. Why would the Lord use Moses and speak through him? And I want to ask this question Why does God continually use one person usually to communicate his message? He loves preaching. God loves preaching. There there is something about it. Even now in the New Testament, the way in which the church is structured is there is an elder pastor who leads the service in expounding upon God's word. For some odd reason, God by his grace has chosen a middle person to speak and bless the congregation, the saints. So elders here, just enjoy that. God, by his good mercy, uses us. And none of us have killed anyone, I don't think. But we still wrestle with our own sin. We still have our shortcomings. But God loves to use people in reaching people. So he's going to speak through his servant Moses. I want you to be someone, who you may not be an elder or a pastor, you may not have a degree in something, but I want you to be like Moses and be one that carries God's word to others. To be faithful in it and joyful in it. And when you mess up, own it, but don't be disqualified. Don't allow yourself to be. Now in verse two he says, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of your oh, sorry, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. So he's going to be speaking about burnt offerings. We're now going to be entering into this journey into a promised land with God. This kingdom is going to be established. The tabernacle has been placed together and with beautiful materials and craftsmanship used to place this together. And he says, how we are going to covenant forward, how you are to be a holy nation of priests is by offering sacrifices to me. Something fascinating about this book Is the vast majority of it is God speaking. Not a lot of narrative going on. There's some story here and there, but it's God speaking. I hope that encourages you if you think about reading ahead as we go through Leviticus. This isn't a one time series, Leviticus visit. We'll be here for a little bit. Um, Think about it it is God speaking. And though it is very foreign to us, the idea of slaughtering animals, I want you to know God's presence is there. Take comfort in his word. Find benefit and joy in it. Now we're going to be approaching this subject or this this chapter today a little differently. Um, Verses 3 through 9... Or how to do the burnt offering if one has a calf. Uh, 10 through 13 if someone has a sheep or a goat. And 14 through 17 if someone has a bird. And the reason you would offer different animals is because some of us are well off and some of us are not well off. So if you have a lot of possessions, if if God has blessed you with, with calves, with money with a lot of possessions, then you give back what God has given you. That, that's how this works. It's not, if you want to really become holy, you're going to break the bank and then go into debt and then prove how awesome you are and say, hey, did you see the bull I did today? No, if God has given you this, you give it back. But maybe, maybe you don't have this. Maybe you have that. So if you have something that's, that's different, Well, then you give that to the Lord. This is a beautiful thing about about God. Some of us are rich, some of us are not. It does not matter. You come and you bring what God has given. Now, at Christmas time, my children would love it if we were millionaires. And some of you, you might have a bigger budget for Christmas than us, and we might have a bigger budget than some of you here On earth, we would love to get the biggest and the best and the most. That's me, at least. Some of you might be more humble and and a minimalist. On some things, maybe. But I like big, best, and most, most of the time. Okay? But when it comes to the offering, Yahweh knows his people. He knows there's diversity in income. There's diversity in means. And he instructs them, come to me, with what I have given you, and I will receive it. So, we're going to just focus mostly on three through nine this morning. There's some deviation um, between how they butcher this animal, and a lot of that has to do with the size. They're not going to skin a bird, that's impossible. Uh, the goat faces to the north, that's because it's a little smaller and And so forth. So, we're not going to get into all the particulars of this. But on verse four, sorry, verse three. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it, a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. What we find in verse three is that it's to be a male. Why? We can't be dogmatic on that. We know that headship is usually communicated through male. We also know that a male could impregnate several females. So females is what you would want to keep. Strength is found in the male. We also know, and I want to be careful here, okay? Because I don't think Leviticus is teaching this, but it could be observed. Christ is a male. With him came headship. This sacrifice is used to communicate headship. It is to be representative of you, representative of your name. And it's not to have a defect. In Leviticus, it will go in great detail what that means later. And we'll hold off on that joy for right now. But it's to be healthy. What we give to the Lord is to be good. Don't try and slide one on the Lord. Don't try and give him something that is gross. It's supposed to represent us from what we find in this passage. He shall offer it at the door of the tent of meeting and, uh, that he may be accepted before the Lord. This whole chapter deals with how we might be accepted before God. And this is why Leviticus is so far from our Christian mind and culture. We have this come as you are mentality. And there's good in that. Come as you are to the cross. But imagine for yourself for a moment, if you could go back in time, okay? You are in the wilderness and you're accompanying an Israelite family. And it's the day of the offering. And you're, like, you're so excited. You put on your jeans and your t-shirt. And you're just ready to come as you are. And I imagine if you said that, the father of the home would laugh at your ignorance. And the mother's eyes would widen in horror. Come as you are? To Yahweh? Unprepared? Where are you at? Are, have you been made clean? Don't you fear his holiness? The truth of the gospel God saves us from God by crushing God so that we may be reconciled to God. Come. A couple weeks ago, I said, if you're sick about it, you're wearing jammies and you don't know if you should come, come, come. Come as you are in that sense. But there should be a reverence. We should prepare ourselves. That's why I appreciate Jeff's emails during the week. Kind of preparing us, letting us know what's going on logistically, but then also spiritually. This is what, what's going to be happening. This is what we're reading. This is what we're preparing for. We are to be accepted before the Lord. In verse four, he mentions that there's to be a lane of a hand on the head. And you might have a footnote in your Bible, and this lane isn't just like a simple, like dead fish hand. This is like a leaning. You look at this animal and you place your weight and you identify with this thing. because you know what's about to happen, and you know what has already happened. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You have sinned inwardly, possibly outwardly. You have missed perfection, but you are desiring relationship with the Lord. You want to keep covenant with him that promises paradise and blessing. So you lean on this animal and you identify it with yourself. It communicates the wages of sin is death. That's sin. We're going to be learning a lot about sin and and some other fun things in Leviticus. But that's the reality of sin. It's very real. So they bring this animal. They'll lay a hand on it. And they are to slay the young bull before the Lord, it says in verse five. And Aaron's priests will take this offering, and they will collect the blood. children you might be coloring right now. Most likely they will slit its throat if it's a larger male, and they will, they will collect the blood in bowls. I want you to think the backdrop. You have this beautiful tabernacle that is supposed to represent God and Eden in one. Cherubim, candles, beautiful colors, ornaments. Behind this tabernacle communicates God's glory, God's beauty, God's kingdom. We come with an animal, we collect this blood, and then we start sprinkling it. Really, washing, bathing, slinging blood everywhere that just kind of ruins the mood doesn't it think also about the smell God mentions how this is a soothing aroma to him to us we smell dead skin and flesh So they are to to take this, they are to sprinkle it around the altar and the dory of the tent of meeting. Verse 6, he shall then skin and burn the offering and cut it into pieces. What we find about the burnt offering is it's going to be completely consumed but the skin of the calf. The bird's a little different there. In its entirety, it will be given up to the flame. Isn't that just an interesting picture of hell? Nothing's to be left. It is all devouring. The fire will be hungry. There's some extra instructions in this. They'll place this on the fire we find in 7 and 8 to make sure that it's all consumed. They'll arrange the coal and the wood and so forth. And then it says in verse nine, its entrails, however, and its legs, he shall wash with water, and the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for a burnt offering. So there's part there's parts of this animal that are not clean, and I think you know what I'm saying. You want to make sure that the the refuse inside the animal doesn't go anywhere near this altar. They have to be extremely intentional. This is going before God. So we're going to remove its intestines, its entrails. We're going to wash its back legs that might not be clean. But that's never clean. And we're to place this on a fire. I want you to think about the, in, the intentionality of this. Okay? You bring the animal. You've leaned on it. You identify that you are transferring your sins in, in a way onto it. You slice it open. You collect its blood and you throw it everywhere. Death is happening here. You skin the beast. I've never skinned an animal before. I'd love to go hunting. I haven't yet. It's not an easy task. I imagine the priests get really good at it. Fling the skin to the side. Then you start cutting it Apart. It's hard work. It's gross work. God is making his people with their hands interact with this. And if, if, if you have a weak stomach, I apologize. You'll get emails when it's my time to preach and you can prepare yourselves. Don't, don't not come. They cut it up. And then there's all this affordable, well, not affordable, there's all this meat, choice meat. Good meat, and it's consumed. It's burned up. What a wh- wh- why? How, how is there grace in this? Where is there God in this? This is just blood, blood, blood. You might be living or seeking to live a holy life. You're abstaining from some things. You realize that this life requires that you persevere with endurance, that you strive in godliness, that you don't just nonchalantly live your life. We might not have to slay a bull. We don't. We don't have altars in the church. We have things we call altars, They're, they're not really altars. Blood has not been placed on this. Why would God do this? If God is a God that doesn't address our sin and our guilt, things like grace, mercy, and love have no meaning. Though this seems very ugly, on the flip side, it shows it's very gracious. God being holy Completely other, without defect or blemish, in full perfection, cannot be confronted by our sin. He cannot cohabitate with us if we are not clean. He could just say, listen, you're a rebellious people, you're a slave people, you have no name about yourselves, you are not faithful, you cannot endure in obedience joyfully, you're constantly needing to be educated and corrected. God has prepared a way that they may come before him. What way can we come before our God? through Christ. It's not by our works, but what he has accomplished. But he asks of us to lay our lives down. He asks for us to follow in him fully. He asks and commands that he be Lord. The beautiful thing about the gospel and why we read Leviticus differently is at the cross of Christ, God kept his holy standard and punished sin through Christ. And we say yes and amen to that. We come before him because God's wrath was fully satisfied. The standard that had to be kept has been met by the God-man. And it's because of this we can come as we are. I want us to be a people that are thankful for what God has given us. We see this beautiful law, and we think, "Wow, how bizarre and how crazy is that." I want us to see in this book how Christ has, has, is our everything. This is a beautiful book to follow along with Jeff in Hebrews. They're going to dance together. Uh, Jeff is going to be speaking about how Christ is our high priest. Hebrews is going to keep taking us back to the temple or to the tabernacle or to Moses. And then we're going to get to Leviticus and he's going to say, hey, here I am. And we're going to see how Christ functions as our high priest and also functions as our sacrifice, our mediator, our God. So I leave uh, in this sermon with just a prayer that we would go forward, thinking about how Christ is in this book, how He is a far better sacrifice than a bird, a sheep, or a bull, and how we are a soothing aroma to our God when we walk forward in obedience and allegiance to Him. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, Father, that we would come to passages like this, seeking to find you and seeking to make Jesus great. Father, we thank you that you have given the gift of eternal life. Though the wages of sin is death, you have paid the price through Christ. May we look to him as our righteousness.